Our Father, we stand here this morning indeed as the people of God, not, a, not based on merit, not based on anything that any of us have ever accomplished or done or merited. We're the people of God by grace, having had our eyes open to see that uh, we were in need of a Savior because of our sin, and then, and then having seen the Savior that you provided, the one altogether lovely in our eyes. And having seen and embraced him, we indeed have become a family, a family uh, at which the head is Christ Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that you might be honored by the way that this portion of the body of Christ serves you and how we reflect your holy character. Father, uh, Richard has just told us and so rightly that we are never to identify democracy with the kingdom of God we thank you for the freedoms that we've enjoyed but oh God our greatest commitment is to a kingdom that was not built on swords a kingdom not furthered and advanced by economies but a kingdom that has as its cornerstone the death and resurrection, ascension and session of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In that regard, O oh God, we do thank you for what he's done for us. And one of the things that he's done for us is give us a nation, a country, where we enjoy such bounty and such wonderful, pleasurable freedom. And it grieves so many of us to see the country move further and further to the left and closer and closer to a moral cesspool. And I pray, Father, that the churches of Jesus Christ would rise up. I pray for the other churches in this town, Father, good churches who are declaring the truth of God this very hour. And I pray that all of us might be useful to you in declaring to this this portion of the planet that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. Father, we pray for our government leaders. We pray for uh, Ed Bryan, who represents us, Lord, in, a, in Congress, and for our senators and our governor. We pray, O oh God, that you will enable these men to stand firm on something that is tied to your word. But Father, if they don't know it, open their eyes to it and use us as well as numerous other Christians around the, the world to point them to it. Father, we, uh, we come here Sunday after Sunday because we uh, find ourselves drawn to your word and in it we find there words of life, words of eternal life, words of hope. And I pray that while we're here today that each soul might hear something that is vivifying, that it might grant new life to them, new encouragements, refreshments from above, so that they might head back to a very complex world, a complex family, to stand firmly and securely knowing that one day we will all be delivered from the tears, we'll all be delivered from the pain will be in your presence forever. 
Let your people never forget that you are, you, we have a destiny, a destiny of enjoying felicity and bliss in the presence of the thrice holy God. We pray, of course, this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Open them to the sixth chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. I found over the past few months that I have reserved this, this moment of time to make some really important announcements. As, as you might recall, we went through the Look campaign, and, and this is usually when I would spend time speaking to you about that. This morning, I want to speak to you about something else, uh, but it is certainly a, an important kind of, uh, I guess it's an announcement. Um, we just spent the, the most refreshing and delightful week in this building. You, you can't imagine... Uh, what you're sitting in today, how it looked uh, about Friday, about 12:15. Uh, it was basically uh, turned on its end via Vacation Bible School. It was a wonderfully delightful week. You know, um, we have some very talented uh, women in this church who pulled off a Bible study that is not just your average Bible. I, you know, I know you might think I'm biased, but I, I had... Ladies stopping me in the hall and said, now that's a vacation Bible school if I've ever seen one. And, and uh, uh, this is vacation Bible school without the fluff. And, and uh, I don't know whether you know anything about it, but it was Pilgrim's Progress. And the kids um, put their footprints in concrete. Uh, we had a, a, a man in the church donate a, a, con a truck's worth of concrete. And they put their feet, their footprints in concrete out here next to the gym. And then they, they had burdens that they carried for the first two days, and then they, they released their burdens at the cross. And, oh, ladies and gentlemen, it was glorious. It was, in fact, I, they had skits uh, every morning where Pilgrim was going through uh, on his way to Heavenly City. And when he came to the cross and he dropped his burden, I was in the back of the room weeping. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a precious, wonderful week, and I wish I could list every woman um, that had a part. I, I can't, and I think you know why, I understand why, but I do want to mention three. Um, the, the real brains of the organization are all women, and it just pulled it off just so excellently. It's, it's a tribute to be a pastor of a church where there's such gifted people. Well, the, 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 the lady who ran things, who was kind of the, the general, is Beth Sale, and I don't think she's in this service. Uh, Beth, are you here? Um, probably either at the second service or at Pickwick. Um, <laughs> one of the two. Um, <laughs> um, but she had two women uh, who were her able assistants, Cynthia McFerrin, and I did see Cynthia come, Cynthia come in, and Susan Dreyer. And is Susan out there? Uh, Susan is here? There's Susan. And Cynthia, there's Cynthia. Would you two please stand up? These ladies, uh, I'm telling you, if you're a parent and your children were in this vacation Bible school, you, you need to do something nice for these ladies. They, they work their little fingers to the bone. <laughs> and, and we do thank you. It was a great week, and I hope that you were, I'm not sure that we can say thank you, but I hope the Lord has communicated how pleased he was over what y'all did. Now, if you're at Ephesians chapter 6, I want to read you uh, the first four verses 
of Ephesians chapter 6. So follow as I read. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. As most of you know, we are for the summer looking at what we call core values at Gracie Van. This insert was in your bulletin, and I've had it put in there uh, pretty much several weeks in a row. Well, maybe not last week, but uh, uh, this is a list of the six core values of the church. And so I'm in a series uh, entitled, What's Important Around Here? That is at Gracie Van. Uh, our philosophy of ministry, as you know, is summarized in seven words, reaching an unchurched world through maturing believers. That's the, that's the top of the pinnacle. But how are we going to get there? How are we going to do that? Well, these six things map out for you six very important items that we think will take us to the place where we want to go. I uh, spent two weeks on the, the first one, truth. And we're going to move through these six across the summer. But this morning, I want to I jump out of sequence. I want you to look at number four. They're not numbered, but it's the fourth one on there. It's the biblical family unit. Um, that's what I want to address actually this Sunday and next Sunday. And I want to tell you why. That is, I want to tell you why I'm changing the order. It just seemed logical to do so. And I think you'll agree uh, after you hear what I'm about to say. At least I hope you'll agree. Um, Thirty years ago tonight, a young 22-year-old, loud, obnoxious pagan stood next to a 20-year-old, demure, cute, young woman at Woodland Presbyterian Church in front of a Presbyterian pastor and exchanged vows. Today, I have been married for 30 years. It is my anniversary. You are too kind. Um, but in my mind, is not swirling around in my mind uh, on this day, is are things related to family. One of the things that we say on this sheet is that uh, our ministry is designed to strengthen the family, not undercut it. Uh, we are eager to define aright the biblical role of male leadership and see it lived out in the lives of men and fathers. We do that a lot around here. We talk a lot about the role that God has given to men. And, I, and we have a flourishing men's ministry. Um, we do a lot uh, of uh, women's ministry. We talk a lot about the role of wife and mother and, and woman in, in this culture. And we have a flourishing women's ministry led by Janet Turner. Uh, it, we do a lot of talking about that. But what we don't talk much about is the, is the bigger family. Not just the marriage, but the family. And 
You may recall that back in early May, I did a parenting conference that not many of you uh, were able to attend or wanted to attend. And, and some of those issues there seem to be germane for, for the church, not simply for a Saturday morning, but for a Sunday morning. And so what I wanted to do, at least for two weeks, just this Sunday and next Sunday, is that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about those other members of the family, not just husbands and wives. We do that a lot. I want to talk to you about parenting. Uh, the issue that is that leads off our text this morning is the issue of children. And some of you may think that you're beyond that, and maybe you are. Um, but uh, pass it on to your grandchildren then, because I hope that, that what you'll get here are some helpful insights uh, as we seek, as all of us seek, to build families, biblical family units. And, and that of... Uh, comes from my sensitivity towards my own family on this, what is for us, a very special day. So, what I want to do for you in the next couple of weeks is, is try and communicate something about family values, how to pass on family values. Um, very honestly, that'll be next week. But uh, I want to mention this morning something about which family values we want to pass on. Now, I, I've got a list of about six, I think, five, and only four of them for this morning, or three of them this morning. Um, and we'll do the rest next week and then talk about the how-tos next week. Oh, you know what, guys? I just had a terrifying thought. I just, I, I forgot something. Uh, hold that just for a second. We've got another group of people going to Brazil that I meant to pray for and mention. Let me just poke that in right here. Andy Harvey is leading a group of people back to Recife, Brazil this afternoon at 5. Don't forget to pray for them. There's a group of nine, I think, eight or nine, that will be going this afternoon at 5 o'clock. I'm sorry, I meant to mention that earlier. But don't forget to pray for that group that's headed to Brazil this week. Now, back to my theme. Um, family values, how to pass them on. We'll talk about how to next week, but I want to mention some this morning. But before I get to some specifics, I want to say something that's kind of broad and general and something that I think um, it needs to be an, almost an umbrella over our families in terms of our commitment. And it's simply this, guys. We are seeking in our families to produce children of character, not children of performance. That is, it's not going to make two hoots and a holler how many goals they scored at the, Laker, uh, at the latest soccer tournament if they have no character. We're not, issue, we're not trying to, to make our kids look good. We're trying to produce a biblical family unit where our kids can learn to be good. So the emphasis, guys, is not on performance. It is on character. Um, folks, as important as your children's report cards may be, there are things far more important than the kind of letter grades they bring home. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not undercutting education or promoting irresponsibility at school. I'm simply saying that it doesn't make, take much sanctity, it doesn't take much character to make an A in algebra. The issues we want to keep forefront in our minds is we're trying to produce character, not performance. What is really important to us 
for our children. Success, happiness, or character. Gang, I'm telling you, if you, if you were to just evaluate your homes for a minute, um, what message are your children getting? What, are they hearing that the most important thing there is to mommy and daddy is that you be happy? Is that what they're getting? And very frankly, or are they, are they getting, well, son, the thing that daddy wants to teach you is how to be a successful businessman. You know, I think one of the first questions that every parent is going to have to answer is this. What is success? What is happiness? Gang, I, 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 I've got a, a hint for you. Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. That word is truth. My point is, the Savior wants to see people sanctified. And I think that has something to do with character, not performance. Gang, parenting, first of all, I think requires a commitment on all of our parts that what we're after, we're after character. Character. You know what that stuff is, don't you? It's, it's what you are in private when nobody's looking. That's what we're trying to produce. And if you produce children who have wonderful pedigrees and wonderful resumes and wonderful portfolios and no character, then I want to suggest that we failed. Because first and foremost, overarching all of what we're trying to do is our goal is we are trying in our homes to produce children of character. Now, with that introduction, what kind of values would help us do that? And I'm, guys, and I know you could list others that are better than the ones I'm going to mention to you, but these are just some thoughts that I hope will, it will really stimulate you to just think in some areas, but I'm sure this is not an exhaustive list. Here, here's the first one, that, the, the first value that I think is we as homes, uh, as parents ought to be passing along. Number one, that in our homes, righteousness reigns, not children. Our kids don't rule our home, and they shouldn't rule yours. Righteousness is to be the standard, is to be the reigning monarch in our homes, not our children. You know, ladies and gentlemen, we're the first generation of, of parents who are afraid of their children. How did that happen? I think how it happened is because they became rulers, not righteousness. Gang, I'm going to say something that's very... I, I don't even want to... Well, I don't mind saying it, but I don't, I, don't, I don't mean it. I don't want it to happen. I'm just trying to make a point. So bear with me. If absolutely necessary... I hope it never is. But if absolutely necessary... Your children are expendable. But God is not. You know, um, I, I think that can be demonstrated to our children in, in a thousand different ways. How about this? Do you think it's more important for your children to develop their self-esteem on a soccer team on Sunday mornings or to be in Sunday school? 
Is that what you're trying to do is, is create an environment where they're constantly getting a, a, a thrill? You know, I'm, I'm going to tell you a little story, and it is bizarre. It just shows you how perverted I am. Just, just bear with me for a second. I, I, I work out uh, at the Germantown Community Center five days a week, as I've told you. I keep reminding you of that because I know you think, does he really? I mean, he doesn't look like it. Um, but there is a door in, that goes into the Germantown Community Center that is set aside for handicapped. And it has a button that you have to push for handicap. Now, this is how perverted I am, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and that door is always broken. It's always broken. You know why it's always broken? Because children are running up to the door, you know, and they're just punching it. And, and I want to—I would love to say to the parents, you know, there are some people who really need that door. Is it so important to your children to get another little four-second kick that that door is going to be abused so that the handicapped who need it can't use it? I mean, your kids have got great strong legs and arms. They could just go just like this. Now, th that may just be way off the charts, but uh, what I'm trying to illustrate is, what are we trying to do with our children? create occasions for them to be happy every time we get a chance so they can have a little kick. Guys, righteousness. Righteousness must reign in our I'll, I'll tell you another point that, I, that we tried to communicate to our children, and you'll have to ask them. I think we did. But um, we, we told them from the day they could understand the English language that there were things in our home that were more important than they were. And if they choose, if they chose, if they chose to to violate those standards of righteousness, they would by they would by so doing, by their choices of violation, would have also chosen to get out of our home. You know, I talk to parents probably two times a year, and they're they're grappling with whether they should put their children out of the house. I don't ever have to put my children out of the house because the standards will do that. If they choose to violate those standards, they have also chosen to get out of my home. Because righteousness reigns, not my children. Our children cannot be allowed, be allowed to have that kind of position in the home. Gang, the first value as we seek to develop character, I want to suggest is this. In our homes, righteousness is more important than you are. Righteousness reigns in our homes. Secondly, and this is the one, ladies and gentlemen, that I could spend the rest of your fourth your holiday uh, weekend on. Our homes must be marriage-centered, not child-centered. Our homes must be marriage-centered, not child-centered. Gang, I'm convinced, I can't prove this, you take it or leave it, but I'm convinced that children are far more concerned that their, children, that their parents love each other than they are that they love them. Do you get that? I, I, I'm convinced that children are far more concerned that their parents love each other than that their parents love them. Uh, and, and why is that? I'm not exactly sure, but I think it has something to do with the assurance that their homes are stable and safe. 
the assurance that there is something good going on in their homes that doesn't depend on them, that's not riding on their shoulders. Gang, it's, um, it's an assurance that there's something good. There's something good out there that they can be called up to, called into later on in life. It invites them to, to strive for something bigger and better as they watch mommy and daddy love each other. Our homes must be marriage-centered. And, and I'm telling you, our culture is doing everything it can to undercut that theme. Folks, um, our, our culture is telling us that fathers are irrelevant. I said that on Father's Day. Most of the blame for the supposed dysfunctionality of the American family is blamed on men. And I'm, I'm sure there's a bit of truth to that. But, but I want to suggest another line of thinking. That part of the dysfunctionality of our families can be blamed for allowing homes to become child-centered. Now, mamas, listen up to for a moment. Mothers today are measured in terms of how exhausted they've made themselves as they f flip from one activity to the next, driving their children. Um, oh, how rested you look! is not considered a compliment. They are competing for this, this prize of the world's busiest and thus most exhausted mother. My point being, in the midst of seeking to be the world's best mother, some may have forgotten how to be wives. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot allow our homes to become kid-centered. No, no. That's the second value. Righteousness reigns. Our home is marriage-centered. Thirdly, this is kind of a two-part thing, and we'll quit with this because I could spend a lot of time on this one too. There's, there's two things that I, I think that we must desperately, that there's a desperate need to teach our children. Respect and responsibility. Um, folks, um, this generation of American children has, as a group, very little, if any, respect for adults and thus for authority. I I'm suggesting that part of the blame is ours. Um, treating children as equals delays rather than advances their maturity. Children have to be taught to respect adults. Um, tell me, what can you see is wrong about saying sir and ma'am? What's wrong with that? I'll tell you a little story that happens to me probably three or four times a year. I have a parent who comes to me and they're new to the church and they say, what do you want our children to call you? Um, what do you want your children to call you? You. 
And uh, you know what? That's really not my call. I don't give a hoot what you call me. But what do you want to teach your children? Do you want your children to call me Jimmy? It's all right with me. I'm not going to stop them. You think I'm going to take them outside and spank them for calling me Jimmy? If they call me Brother Jimmy, I might spank them. But, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, what, what, are you, what, are you wanna, what are you trying to teach your children? That's the issue. Guys, you may say, well, you know, he's, he's kind of wild and crazy and didn't deserve That's fine. I just want to know what, you wanna, what do you want your children to think of adult authority? Huh? So you figure out what they should call me. I don't care. But it does mean something. Another one of my, um, my concerns, and, and I had this happen to me at Vacation Bible School, and I wanted to take the mother aside and say, way to go, honey. She and I were talking right over there on uh, one of these mornings, and her child came up and... And um, she, she turned and she said, can't you see that I'm talking to someone? You wait just a minute. Folks, um, our children don't have much respect for adult conversation. And, it's, and I'm sure there are times when children should interrupt. They should interrupt. There may be an emergency. But ladies and gentlemen, our children must be taught that they cannot interrupt adults when in the midst of conversation. Not because our conversation is so important, but because respect for authority is. Gang, that's something, that, that's something that we've got to teach, is respect. Very frankly, they don't respect adults. They don't respect authorities. They don't respect law. Because we didn't teach them. The other part of that is responsibility. You know, ladies and gentlemen, about the only thing that our children need more of is chores. Non-paid family chores. Um, the more you do for them, the less capable they are of doing it for themselves. We're trying to raise up responsible children. Let me ask you this, moms. Who did the last science fair project in your home? Did you do that? Did you get an A? I certainly hope so. You're 35, you know. <laughs> you ought to be able to get an A. Did, did you knock yourself out to make sure that you got to Target just in time to get all the poster board? Because they had failed to plan in getting the job done on time? Did you kill yourself so that they could get it to school when, when, when they should have gotten it there a day earlier? Did you do that? Do you know what you did? You undercut lessons in responsibility and responsible living. You know, um, I, I have had conversations with parents. I, I'll give you an example of one. A teenage girl gets a speeding ticket 
you know, driving a car too fast. You know what those are? Mom and Daddy, what do you do with that? I had a mother tell me that her daughter had had a bad day at school. Ladies and gentlemen, not only is that inaccurate, it's cruel. It's cruel to do to the child to give them some kind of reason to escape the responsibility of what they have done. Now, I'm not saying a speeding ticket is the end of the world, guys. Anybody here got one lately? I mean, we adults do that too. But who has to pay our speeding tickets? Guys, um, I'm afraid that we've allowed our children to think of our wives and our mothers, or our wives and their mothers, as some kind of servants of theirs. Um, I'm your mother, how may I serve you? Mothers, you don't have to repeat out loud, just repeat in your own minds. Can you say, leave me alone? Can you say that? Well, it needs to be said at times. Leave me alone. I do, not, I do not exist to meet all of your little needs. We are, we are creating children who have the possibility of living responsibility-free lives because we're, we're designing their excuses for them. We're the very ones that are supposed to be teaching it to them when we are writing checks so that they don't have to live underneath any responsibility for their behavior. You know, ladies and gentlemen, if a child is bad in school today, it's usually the parents who are on the community hot seat, not the kids. How did that happen? You, I, 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 can't, speak, I can't speak knowingly about uh, public school education, but I, I wish Bill Doss were here. Uh, uh, I bet you Sharon Watson would come up here and amen what I'm about to say. One of the biggest problems that are, that, that are faced in disciplining kids in private schools, I, I can't speak for public, but I, I think it's probably true of public too, in private schools is parental interference. The, the authorities in the school are not allowed to spank little Johnny because mommy's on the phone. all designed to create an occasion where our children don't have to face the responsibility for their actions. Folks, um, we have got to teach our children respect and responsibility. Now I want to read you two things and then I'm finished. One of them is from that well-known theologian, Ann Landers. Um, concerning responsibility. I'm telling you, you're going to want this. If you, didn't, if you didn't cut it out of the paper, you're going to want this. This is delightful. Um, ten rules kids won't learn in school. Number one, life is not fair, get used to it. The average teenager uses the phrase, it's not fair, 86 times a day. Number two, 
the real world won't care as much about your self-esteem as your school does. This may come as quite a shock. Number three, sorry, you won't make $40,000 a year as soon as you get out of high school. And you won't be a vice president and have a car phone either. You may even have to wear a uniform that doesn't have a designer label. <laughs> Number four, if you think your teacher is tough, wait until you get a boss. Number five, flipping hamburg, flick it, back up here. Flipping burgers is not beneath your dignity. Your grandparents had a different word for burger flipping. They called it opportunity. Number six, it's not your parents' fault if you mess up. You're responsible. Number seven, before you were born, your parents weren't boring. They got that way by paying your bills and listening to you. <laughs> Number eight, life is not divided into semesters. And you don't get summers off, not even spring break. You are expected to show up every day for eight hours and you don't get a life, a new life, every ten weeks. Number nine, smoking does not make you look cool. Watch an 11-year-old with a butt in his mouth. That's what you look like to anyone over 20. And finally, your school may be outcome-based, but life isn't. In some schools, you're given as many chances as you want to get, as you want to get the right answer. Standards are set low enough so nearly everyone can meet them. This, of course, bears not the slightest resemblance to anything in real life, as you will soon find out. Gang, we're trying to help you build a biblical family unit. And at the core of that is a home where righteousness reigns, where the home is marriage-centered, and where respect and responsibility are taught, all because... We're trying to produce character and not performance. I close with this. This is written by a man by the name of William Davis talking about the desire to build character. Listen. The circumstances amid which you live determine your reputation. The truth you believe determines your character. Reputation is what you are supposed to be. Character is what you are. Reputation is the photograph, character is the face. Reputation comes over one from without, character grows up from within. Reputation is what you have when you come to a new community, character is what you have when you go away. Your reputation is made in a moment, your character is built in a lifetime. Your reputation is learned in an hour. Your character does not come to light for a year. Reputation grows like a mushroom. Character lasts like eternity. Reputation makes you rich or makes you poor. Character makes you happy or makes you miserable. Reputation is what men say about you on your tombstone. Character is what the angels say about you 
before the throne of God. What we're seeking to produce, ladies and gentlemen, are not good soccer players and not straight A's on report cards. We're seeking to produce young men and women of character. Our Father, I do thank you for the privilege that is mine to, um, to just seek to stimulate your people. And I pray that uh, the, the comments will do that, that they'll find uh, a, a new, fresh hope for their homes and families, and, and perhaps fresh directives as well. And I pray, Lord, that what we will, what we will see uh, coming out of our homes is children who understand, number one, that righteousness rules, that Daddy loves Mommy and Mommy loves Daddy, and that there is respect for adults and authority and a life that is being lived responsibly. Oh, God, if we could do but that, our culture would sit up and take notice. Because in the, in the final, analysis, final analysis, what we really want is to be such men and women of character that we can reach a lost and dying culture and point them to the same place where we found answers. We commit ourselves to that, Father, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. we like to close with an invitation to you to do a couple of things. We, we hope that, that your appetite has been whetted. If you're here as someone who has not yet met Jesus Christ, that your appetite has been whetted for more of what it means to be a Christian. But we don't ask you to come forward. We ask you to get a hold of me as people are headed to their cars and um, we'll chat as long as we can and then we'll, we'll make arrangements to chat again. If you've completed the new members class, however, and feel that this is the place where God has led you to uh, exercise your spiritual gifts, we do invite you to come forward. We'd like to welcome you into the family of God here at Gracie Man. Would you stand as Richard leads us in the closing doors? Mm -hmm.